ran out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man. You study him hard and hoping to pass. Working your fingers right down to the bone. The guy behind you won't leave you alone. Bienvenidos a todos, especialmente a mi tribo de amor. Hello to the tribe of love, especially those of you listening to today's broadcast of Talk Out of School. Welcome, mi familia. Hello, WBAI listeners. My name is Daniel Alicea, and my pronouns are he, him, and his, and I am the proud son of Manny and Alma. And I want to welcome you today to another episode of Talk Out of School. I'm coming to you live once more from WBAI, listener-sponsored, locally-controlled, non-commercial Pacifica Radio here in New York City. We're on 99.5 FM on your FM dial. This is a Pacifica radio station. We're also being live-streamed on WBAI.org. And here at Talk Out of School, we talk about the issues affecting public schools and public education here in New York City on the state level and also also nationally. And if you would like to listen later to today's broadcast or any other broadcasts that we've had in the past, um, or you'd like to share it with a loved one or a friend, it's also available for download as a podcast here on WBAI's um, archives on WBAI.org. You can check us out there, but also you can also check out the podcast. It's available on Apple and Spotify. Just type in Talk Out of School in Apple or Spotify, and we will come right up. Thank you again. Today, we have a very special show lined up. And uh, one of the things I would love to do moving forward with the times that I co-host is I'd love to feature some of the voices of our New York City educators who I think need to be part of this ongoing conversation that we hear we have here at Talk Out of School. And so today I have with us some New York City educators. First, I have lined up uh, and I'm going to share with you a pre-recorded interview with two rock star educators, Matt and Abby, who have launched and now host a new video and audio podcast called Grading the Drama, DOE Unplugged. And it's quickly becoming a wonderful uh, platform for some really candid and honest conversations about the goings-ons, the, the going-ons of what's going on in, in our DOE circles. And so uh, I'm going to share that interview with you in a moment. But I, I also want to start a series of really important conversations about something called the Absent Teacher Reserve um, Pool. And we'll give you some context in a moment, but I think I, I think we need to have a really candid conversation here about what an ATR is and how that affects our, our school children here in New York City. And so I've also invited uh, Peter Zucker, who is here with us live today. And also I did a pre-recorded interview with Kathy Perez. Uh, both of, have been very vocal, very um, vocal and outspoken activists and advocates. Um, and they are also ATR teachers and they will join us today. I think we need, to, as I said, to have a really candid conversation about what this is and what it means to our school children. There are many myths and misconceptions about ATRs, 
And so we're hopefully going to be able to share the life and plight of ATRs. And hopefully we can start reimagining. This city needs to reimagine what to do with these highly qualified expert teachers, many of them inside of the ATR pool that um, are not permanently placed in schools, despite what the DOE has told us over the summer that they've kind of cleared the ATR pool and uh, they've placed many teachers permanently. But I, I, we're starting to hear otherwise. And I know my guest today has also written some blogs about this new policy on, on ATRs. So before we get into the ATR system with some of our ATR teachers, I do want to share with you an interview that I had earlier this week with Matt and Abby. And so I'm going to play that for you uh, in just a moment. With us today are two rock star New York City educators who are hosting a hot new video and audio podcast called Greeting the Drama, DOE Unplugged. It just launched on YouTube and Spotify just last week, and it's already making a splash, especially among us in DOE, New York City public school circles. With us today are Matt and Abby, the co-hosts of Grading the Drama. Welcome, Matt. Welcome, Abby. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, it's it's exciting to be here. Thank you. Well, guys, if, if you could um, tell our listeners a little bit about the show, uh, how did Grading the Drama come about? What What is it all about? Abby, you want me to start off? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I do a podcast for my football league. I play football Sunday morning, slag football. And uh, this year we decided uh, to have a podcast. So I got into podcasting a little bit. And then uh, Abby and I were, were chatting one day and as a joke, I go, hey, why don't we start a podcast? And Abby's like, yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, wait, are you serious? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, because I really was serious, even though I thought I was joking. Um, and from there, we came up with a name and we went back and forth in a name. And then we, you know, we posted it on Facebook just to see what teachers thought. And, and we got a lot of positive reaction. And we're like, all right, let, let's do this. Let's make this happen. And um, it's, it's been sailing from there. Um, I think what we kind of agreed on also was, you know, you want the unfiltered stuff, the stuff that you can say on, you know, you want to post it on Facebook, you want to just let it out and be honest, we, you know, we're tired of kind of like the politically correct responses when it comes to teaching that it's hard, but I love doing this. And, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. And it's like, no, it's okay to have those days where you're like, I, I, you know, I don't feel cut out for this. It's overwhelming, but then, you know, you recover, but it is okay to have those negative feelings at times. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've really enjoyed and just in the last two podcasts, the, the candor, and you guys have a really good vibe together. Um, what's, what is the, the concept? Tell a little, so a little bit more about your concept of what this show um, will be about a little bit about the format, uh, just really vision for the show. Yeah, I, I, I'll start off and I'll just say that we want to be a voice for the voiceless. You know, we really want to, you know, speak up for those who can't speak up and also be a sense of reason for everybody. And I don't want to just represent teachers. I want to represent families. I want to represent students. I want to represent administrators. 
this isn't just about bashing the DOE. This is about looking at policies and saying, we need to do better. We need to make the education system a place where teachers want to teach. We want to make it a place where people want to stay for the 25, 30 year careers they all thought they were getting into when they went to graduate school. We want it to be a place where it's okay to have a difference of opinion and not be penalized for speaking your mind. So, you know, that's kind of the, the vision we have for it. We want it to grow. We don't want it to just be New York. We want it to be everywhere. You know, let it be statewide. Let it be, you know, nationwide. Let it be a place where educators alike can feel that they can speak their mind, have someone speaking for the issues that are happening currently, whether it's a, a presidential, you know, education decision, something that's done by, you know, the state level or the city level. But someone has to speak up and say, we can do better. I would love to see this take off to a point where you had the higher ups, uh, both in the union, both in the DOE, uh, come in and, you know, say their piece too. even try to challenge it. You know, this you, you want to find a platform where you draw their attention so they know that we do have something to say. It's not just who they pick and choose to be on camera to speak to or represent. We are the underrepresented. Yeah, in, in many ways. Um, I know that the, as part of your format, you guys have a really cool part of the show where you kind of grade things that are going on, and thus the name of the show. Um, and so maybe you guys can take out your grade books and help us a little bit here. Uh, give us a taste of the show. And so I, I've got a couple of items here, and hopefully you guys can take out your grade books and evaluate uh, these items for us. Wait, Abby. I'm sorry, Abby, did you bring your Danielson uh, rubric with him? I did. I also brought my, uh, what are they called? Oh, God, I'm already ineffective. <laughs> Our different level of questioning and differentiation formats. Oh, your DOK chart. That's awesome. Yes, there we go. See, I'm developing. Oh, sorry. You guys are ready. Um, yes. How would, how would you grade the DOE's pandemic response. And if you want to take it sequentially from like 220 to January of 22, feel free. Uh, and why why that grade? I will go first. <laughs> I'll take that one first, uh, just because this is a, uh, you know, an experience that wasn't too long ago um, with, I'm going to give it a big fat up. <laughs> uh, we were thrown back in. The union did try. I'm going to be honest. Um, I will say that Unity and the other caucuses really pushed their hardest to try to get us into a safer condition. And the best we got was, we'll ramp up a little bit more testing and uh, here's some COVID tests to take. But you can't take them at school. Don't take them at work. Do it on your own time, even if you feel sick. And we will give you some testing sites, but they won't be open until work hours. And, you know, many, many teachers and students came back from vacation that day or went on vacation, sick, brought it home to their families or brought it back with them when they came back because they didn't know what else to do. And that, again, myself included, we, there was no place to find testing and you threw us into the frying pan um, and then to go on camera and say, look, but everything's fine. You know, even though 200,000 kids are missing, everything's safe, everything's good. 
you guys are fine. We're not fine. We were struggling. We still are struggling. And I think, yeah, on uh, the DOE's pandemic response. I'm going to give it an NX. <laughs> um, I, 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 listen, I think there's a lot of room to grow here with the, uh, with the DOE. I, 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 listen, I want to blame them like everyone else, but I can't. And it's not me being diplomatic. This is me being realistic. You know, they, early on, nobody knew what to do. The shift from in-person learning to remote learning, again, this had never been done before, right? Businesses had not even figured that out. Um, it's just really ironic that corporate America has recognized that you can actually do well at home than you do actually in person. So it's actually really interesting that my friends of mine who work on Wall Street, um, who work in investment banking, accountants, lawyers, they've all figured out how to achieve and exceed at their job from home, whereas we struggle and we did not do well from home. You know, And I don't think that's a blame on the DOE, that's just a blame on the situation. You have kids who are not meant to be learning from home. Even college students, uh, students who've graduated from my schools have said that they're, they're struggling in college because it's also not normal. So I understand the DOE's you know, point of emphasis of going back in person and making sure in-person learning could happen. At the same time, though, the supports for administrators has been so limited. I can see firsthand what my administration goes through each day. The supports and then their supports, the teachers are limited because there's only so much that they can do. So I don't blame anyone, but I, I think my biggest knock on the DOE is more of the centralization of the, of the DOE. I would love for the power of education to go back into the school buildings, to go back into the power of the people who are influencing students every day. And that's the administrators, be it, albeit the superintendents, albeit deputy superintendents, albeit principals, whoever is making decisions every day for students, they should be the ones who have the power to decide whether you're remote or not remote. You know, you have to look at your attendance for the building and, and recognize like, we need to shift to remote for two weeks because otherwise we're gonna be in trouble. There was a principal who recognized they had no staff right. and decided we're gonna shift to remote and they got reamed out by the DOE. Does that make any sense at all? So There's for a me, whole investigation around her that they put against. It, it's insane. She was looking out for her community. Yeah. So for me, I can't give them an exact grade. I think we're, we're still, they're ever still proving me right or wrong in terms of the mistakes they're making. At the same time, I have to give them the benefit of the doubt in the sense that this has been unprecedented times. I can't be totally blaming them for every mistake that's gone away. You're going to make mistakes, of course, but you're not learning from them. And I think that's my issue. Oh, I will blame them because the last four weeks after two years of this, uh, and this is what you choose to do, it's... That's what I'm not okay with. So Michael Mogru, uh, the president of the United Federation of Teachers, his job performance as of late, what's the grade and why? Well, I, I graded his potential um, town hall on our first episode, and then I kind of, you know, confirmed my grading on, my, on our second episode. Overall, I give Mulgrew a C-, and I... I don't want to be that guy who goes on and talks about how bad he is. Listen, he's got a tough job. And his job is to represent a large 70,000 people. I mean, this is a large constituency that he has. So I give him you know, a lot of credit for the sense that he's gotten some things done that I never thought were going to happen in my career. Paid parental leave, that's incredible. Um, the fact that we went to a rubric-based 
in terms of Danielson, which the rollout was terrible, but then that's DOE. But the fact that he was able to get that down from all components to, to lesser components, uh, as opposed to just an administrator walking into a room and making a biased decision whether they like or didn't like a lesson. So I think having a rubric that teachers and administrators can learn from was a big deal, getting that, you know, getting that done with the administration. But the shortcomings are so many, and that is I constantly am seeing questions, whether it's on WhatsApp groups, Facebook, of teachers who have literally no clue about anything. Or if they need answers, they have questions that they have that they need answered, they can't even get that answered from calling UFT. Or they're sent to that person, that person, that person. There's no one who can direct them properly. And at the end of the day, people don't feel represented. And I think unity, which has been the majority, you know, uh, party of the caucus of the union, has not lived up to what it sounds like, which is unity. They don't, they're not just actually not what they are. Um, so I've had the opportunity, we've had the opportunity of speaking to more. We've had the opportunity to speak to solidarity. And while they're speaking differently than unity, their voice is getting stronger because they actually sound like they're talking from the teacher perspective and the union representatives. I completely agree with uh, Matt. It, it, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, um, I, I feel like over the last two years, there's been a lot of flip-flopping on his side from how things were to go with arbitration, um, with how he wants to hear from us, but then he doesn't survey us when it comes to actual issues and what we want to get done. Um, even down, like Matt said, down to the union itself, um, you know, you can even speak to two different people in the same department and get two different answers on what's going on. And then when you do question it, when you do criticize it or you're venting, you do, you, you have the, you, you have these, uh, unity uh, representatives jump down your throat as if you're being ungrateful. Um, and also speaking as a parent, I'm not going to say speaking as a female, but speaking as a parent, like even the parental leave, um, it, it, it's great that it, from what it was before, but how is it not better for a job or an occupation that is so focused on you know, the well-being of students, of, of people's children, but we're saying, hey, you are only going to get 12 weeks before we kick you off of your insurance and you have to pay out-of-pocket for COBRA, and we're not going to protect you any other way. And even with the people who had to go on unpaid leave this year because of whatever choices they made regarding their vaccine status, there is no way around that, but other unions were able to defend their, you know, their constituents to an extent and provide better incentives, which our people got told, well, we weren't, you know, not in these terms, but not exactly in these terms, but essentially that we weren't educated enough to make those decisions like FDNY and NYPD. It's, you know, he has a lot of room for pushback, I believe. The whole point is that the mayor and him are supposed to, and the chancellor, sorry, I forget about him because you know, the mayor really is the top of all this, but they're supposed to be working together. And it seems like they're just making decisions that he's saying later. Yeah, I didn't agree with it. But then again, the data says. So Especially at the last meet brings in, um, you know, the CD, uh, not the CDC. It was a, I think she was a nurse, a UFT nurse. 
It was, um, a, I think, a nurse from Northwell um, Hospital. Oh, okay. I thought the reason she was associated with the UFC, but even that didn't seem consistent in their answers, that we're not safe enough to go really anywhere else, but we're safe enough to be in a room full of oversized classes and schools. And sorry if you have pre-existing conditions and your vaccine didn't really help you, but you're still safer than you were before. But everybody is different and you can still suffer worse or less damaging results. You're not really giving me any type of reassurance here that we're safe. So is that a C minus or is that, is what, what am I, what, what are we getting? That's a D. That's I'm going to say it's a D. All right. So yeah. C minus for, for Mulgrew and a, and a D. I want to thank you, um, Matt and Abby, for joining us today. Um, how how can someone listen to your show? Because I know there's going to be quite a few listeners now looking for uh, grading the drama. Yeah, they can uh, subscribe to us on YouTube or Spotify. Um, I, I think we even show up uh, if you search us on Spotify and if you search us up on YouTube. Uh, again, just type in grading the drama. Do we unplug? Matt has also been posting it on Facebook um, if you're part of the DOB chat. So if uh, you just put it in the search bar, um, you'll be able to pop up with the posting too if you want those options. And we are working on a website and a social media as well. So those are things that are going to come up hopefully very soon. Thank you again and looking forward to the next podcast. Daniel, thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This is fun. So I'm also here with Peter Zucker. Um, he's a, a longtime New York City educator, and he's going to join us today. Uh, welcome, Peter. I know that you've been teaching for over 26 years, especially out of the South Bronx. You're known as the South Bronx teacher. Yes, I am. Thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I, I wanted you to join us today and hopefully in our next segment in, in, in a couple of weeks. I really want to focus on some of the issues that ATR teachers are having. Um, and, and I want to give some context, some historical context first about what the ATR pool is. That stands for the Absent Teacher Reserve. And I, I, I'm going to read a couple of s- statements here out of Chalkbeat, I, who I think really had a, a succinct description of what the ATRs are, and maybe you can comment really quickly as I do that. Well, so, I'm curious to what Chalkbeat says because they really don't get things right a lot of times. But read, read me. I'm, I'm curious. All right. So what is the ATR? Why is it controversial? Uh, the ATR pool is a pool of educators without permanent positions. Teachers in the pool have traditionally served as almost like roving substitutes filling in at different schools, and collecting full salary and benefits. In 2018, the pool cost the city about $136 million. The ATR, or Absent Teacher Reserve, was created under former Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who wanted to give principals more autonomy, and while the union wanted to protect its members from just the whims of school leaders, and I have to think that was part of um, mayoral control and what to do yeah. with that. And And the result was that Principals did get some more control over who they could hire, but the ATRs, uh, the ATR allowed teachers to keep their paychecks if they couldn't find a new job, and so if, if if they had been displaced. And so teachers can also enter the pool after facing disciplinary charges, as if as it can be 
incredibly difficult to fire teachers in New York City. And so what the ATR is not is that it, it, it is not a pool. It, it is a pool that is separate from the, Siri, uh, the, Siri, the city's notorious rubber rooms. Basically, um, the rubber rooms are something entirely different. Holding rooms where teachers are facing disciplinary charges uh, as they await for their, their cases to be heard. Also, um, the, the ATR is a pool that tends to be more senior um, teachers. Therefore, they earn higher salaries creating a disincentive for principals to hire them. Your thoughts on that description? <laughs> well, it's kind of true. Uh, the thing is, yeah, Bloomberg did uh, start this in 2005, but what really preceded it was taking uh, us bargaining away the seniority transfer and schools and budgets for teachers coming out of, you know, instead of coming from central budgets coming from the schools themselves. So it used to be that if you and you were in a school where it was a bad situation, you can leave. Okay. And your salary would come from be paid out of central instead of coming from the school. So what happened in 2005 was the, the seniority transfer was taken away. Uh, fair student funding came in and that the teachers were uh, being paid off the school's budget. Now, if you're a principal and remember, this is in the days of the Leadership Academy where you had basically anybody, Tom, Dick, and Harriet wanted to become a principal. All they had to do was sign up for that leadership academy with one, two, three years of teaching behind, in their belts. Would you want a, number one, would you want a veteran teacher on your payroll? Number two, even if you weren't, you, if you made the most amount of money, you were, you were maxed out, why should a principal hire you when they could get two or three teachers for you, the price of you. So that, along with the stigma or the, uh, yeah, the stigma, which was not really true, you know, why would you hire an ATR? Okay? A lot of ATRs are railroaded. Okay? I myself was. So, you know, and you have to go in with this. It's it's like... Uh, the scarlet letter on you on on you so it 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 doesn't matter you know it it just klein used to say that all the atrs were incompetent they were horrible teachers so why would anybody want to hire you okay and not all atrs went through 3028 hearings you also had a lot of atrs who've been excess from the schools so this is a monster that Bloomberg did create, and that did, even after Bloomberg, it was just uh, it it continued. Yeah, I definitely want to get into this conversation because I think we need to start hearing some stories from the ATR perspective. I know there have been a series of of, of articles throughout the years dealing with this, but I really think that we need to start thinking about reimagining what this ATR looks like because I feel like. The city has has told us at, uh, during the pandemic that somehow they've they've cleared the register of um, 
of ATRs, and now they're being permanently placed in schools. No, they before you, yeah, before we do that, I just want to take a quick station ID. Uh, you're listening to Talk Out of School on listener-supported WBAI 99.5. Uh, we're found on the center of your FM dial. I'm Daniel Alisea, a New York City educator, and I'm alternating on weekends with my co-host, the champion, Lainey Hampson. Today, we are sharing various conversations with New York City educators about the issues that matter and some of the things that we are facing presently in New York City schools, including this present conversation about the absent teacher reserve, the ATR pool. And we are now talking to um, Peter Zucker, and I'm also going to share an interview that I had with Kathleen Perez in just a moment, who was also an ATR teacher. But we're, we're listening to uh, Peter Zucker, the incomparable Peter Zucker, the outspoken and sometimes, just sometimes controversial Peter Zucker here today. And so he's going to share a little bit more. I have a couple of questions with, uh, for you, Peter. I know that you have a standing and a, appointment, but I do want you to come back because there's a couple more questions that I do have for you. And we want to continue bringing some other ATRs to, to share their stories. So first question for you. What landed you into the ATR pool? Uh, long story short, I went through a 3020A hearing. Uh, I had 17 charges against me. Uh, I was, they found in favor of the DOE for 15 of the charges. Of course, uh, you know, principals can basically say whatever, whatever they want. And, you know, take so many things out of context. And I went through the hearing and I guess I was found, for lack of a better phrase, I guess I was found guilty. But, you know, the old old saying is if you keep your job, you won the hearing. I was suspended for four months and I started in the ATR pool. And I think it was like December 4th. I think I was telling you December 4th, 2015. And I've been in it since. And I've tried, you know, the funny thing is every summer I tried the open market and I get bupkis back. I, I hear nothing back. So I understand you're a highly qualified uh, tech teacher. I think I am. I, I was a staff developer in District 7 in the early 2000s. And I've gone into schools where either the computers are collecting dust or they don't know what they're doing. And I've tried to ingratiate myself, to, you know, make, you know, offer my services. And it just doesn't happen. I'm, I just, one of the reasons is I make too much money. I'll tell you what, especially now with um, this move to, to virtual learning and, and all of the, the needs that we have with technology, especially as we move to some remote options and others, I, for the life of me, I, I can't see how your services are, absolutely needed in, in our schools. I guess my, my next question for you is, what has it been like, especially now during the pandemic for teachers inside of the absent teacher reserve pool? I don't know. I, I mean, I can speak for myself. Uh, last year, I was assigned to one school for the year. Uh, and that was like, you know, but I was teaching remote. And I didn't get the modicum of respect. You know, that was, in fact, that was last year was the first year that 
in my six year in my six years as an ATR that the teachers I was working with really had no just treated me like garbage, except one teacher, except one teacher. It was one teacher that was fantastic. Okay, but several other teachers before that teacher were just very unprofessional with me and, 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 and didn't give me any respect. So I, I guess we can follow up with a couple a couple more questions. I know you have that standing appointment, but yeah. you had to tell New Yorkers, parents, families, something they need to know about ATRs in general, not just your 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 situation, because I know there there are plenty that have been discontinued at their schools or they've been um, accessed or, or or et cetera. What should New Yorkers, families um, that that have children? in our public schools know about the ATR uh, pool? Don't fear the ATR. There's a lot of good teachers in the ATR pool. They do, They want to teach. They want to do their jobs. It, it's that simple. But over time, what happens to the ATR is they realize they're not going to get placed. And I'm not talking about the teachers that were excessed. I'm talking about the ATRs that went through the process of trying of them trying to get terminated they that scarlet letter stays with them and what happens eventually as an atr and i'm not saying this happens to everybody but what happens is you know you put up defense mechanisms and you 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 want to you want to get through each day each week each month each school year with your job and you don't, you, you try to stay as far under, the, you do your job, but you just stay under the radar. And it, it, it stinks because, you know, I think there's, a, I mean, I think there was what, 900, 1,000 ATRs, they said last year. You, you, ATRs want to do their job and they want to do it well. But it's I, to go in there with a the scarlet letter. It's tough to go in there with a reputation, and and some of it is is as you said, is some some are, are folks that have even overcome some of these charges um, sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, and again, not the same as the rubber room because that's an entirely different situation. Uh, I guess my next my last question for you. I know you've done some writing about this. Can you tell us a little bit about what the DOE said in the summer of 2021 as far as somehow they were going to clear all all uh, of these teachers, these ATR teachers that are presently in the pool and permanently place them in schools. And we're starting to hear otherwise. And I know you've done some writing about that really quickly, and then we'll move on to Kathleen. Okay. Uh, no, it, it, it hasn't happened. Okay. I'm, I'm still considered under excess. I'm not on my school's organization sheet. Uh, I still get, I'm still able to access uh, the open market for excess teachers uh, I know teachers, I know some ATRs who've been uh, moved around. Uh, I know some ATRs who have uh, been asked if they want to stay at the school by their principal. And if not, the principal's willing to let them go. So it, it, it hasn't happened. Okay. Uh, if, if, and this is for the majority. 
not, I want to say for the excess teachers, because the excess teachers who are ATRs, it's a different, it's a different animal than the, the ATRs who've been, you know, through hearings. So I'm, I can just speak for the teachers who've been through hearings is that it's, it's just the same. It, it's just, it's putting lipstick on a pig and we're still in the same boat. And so I guess instead of rotating the teacher every six months or three months, now you just get rotated every year. And you know what? And worse yet is from what I've heard is you don't automatically become an ATR if you survive your 3020A hearing. So there's more, there's going to be more incentive for the arbitrators or the principals to go after that teacher in that school who they want to get rid of. Because that was really the only way, this is basically the only way principals can get rid of a teacher they don't like, is to come up with bogus charges or out-of-context charges, have the teacher go through a 3020A, and the, the teacher will automatically go into the ATR pool. There's there's one teacher I've written extensively about who went through a 3020A hearing and kept her job and they put her back in the school. And now she's being targeted again. Yeah, I, I, I've seen the culture, you know, having having left the school system for a little bit uh, and moving to Houston and then coming back, I really get started to understand the ATR pool in the last few years and, and realizing there's so much wrong with it. Peter, I'm going to ask you to come back in a couple of weeks because I do want to continue this conversation. I know you have a standing appointment. I also want to share the interview that I had with Kathleen. But thank you so much, Peter. And we are going to continue this conversation. Okay, Dan, thank you for having me. And I look forward to our next uh, meeting. Thank you. Okay. I'll see you later. Bye. Take care, Pete. All right. I do want to share with you a, an interview that I had with uh, Kathy Perez. She is a, a, a New York City teacher. Let me play that for you. I'm here with Kathy Perez, who has been a New York City educator for over 18 years, um, but also has some experience prior and and out in the suburbs. So she's been an educator for almost 21 years. And she has some experience inside of the ATR pool having been placed two times in the pool. And so uh, welcome Kathleen to Talk Out of School. Good morning, thanks for having me. Really quickly, um, if you could share for us, uh, Kathy, uh, how were you placed in the ATR pool and uh, just give us some background there, if you could. Um, well, I was part of a team of four intervention specialists. We were three reading specialists and one math intervention person at MS-226 in District 27. I know, um, I know it well. I'm a graduate from there. Yeah, and uh, so are my cousins. I grew up in the neighborhood, and I went to 202 myself, but... Um, I was going to end my career there. I had no reason. I loved my job. I loved my colleagues. I loved my students. And when Bloomberg took over, one of the first things he did was eliminate the uh, special funding 
for the AIS reading programs. Any school that met its reading targets or its intervention targets for that year had the budget cut for reading. So all of our students hit level two, except for maybe one or two of them on the state exams. And so at the end of that year, they took away the funding for the reading and all three of us were excess and the math specialist was put back into a full classroom because that budget line was eliminated. So basically we did our job too well. And as a thank you, we were put into the ATR. And so I was in an in the ATR there for two years. Um, I was sent to an elementary school when I had no um, experience in elementary school. And I was treated like, I mean, you're, you're treated with complete disrespect. You're completely um, just treated with scorn. I remember my first day in the new school, the principal said, don't go sniffing around here like there is a job for you because I don't want a reading teacher. I can't afford a reading teacher. And I'm not really thrilled that you're here. And my response to that was, well, it's very nice to meet you too. Um, at the While I was at that school, my mother-in-law had passed away. And when I called and said, my mother-in-law passed away 20 minutes ago, she said, you know, you don't need to take all of your bereavement days. She's still going to be dead when you get back and you're here to save me money, not cost me money. Um, and then when I came back four days later, she just handed, you know, gave me a class of second graders and said, welcome back from your vacation. Here's your class. Um, I went on interviews and I had one, um, one of these new talent coaches that we had back then asked me why I was in the ATR for two years. He said, if you're as great as your resume looks, why hasn't anyone picked you up as if I was a hooker or something? And I said, well, you'd have to ask them. I don't know. And he said, I don't know. Being in the ATR for two years kind of makes you look like you're past your sell-by date. Um, you, they forced you to go to job fairs, but when you went to the job fairs, it was empty tables and chairs because the ATRs were mandated to go to the job fairs on their own time without pay, but the principals and the school representatives were not. So you would walk around the Brooklyn Museum and there would be no one there to interview you. Um, it would just be empty tables and chairs. I finally did get a job in District 28 at uh, Catherine and Count Basie, MS 72. And that was where I was systematically beaten and abused by the students um, and the new principal allowed it to happen. And um, I ended up suing the DOE. I was put, beaten and put in the hospital twice in that school. And part of the agreement was that I would be put back in the ATR or I could go back to the school where I was beaten. So I've been in the ATR since 2012 now. Um, and I think, yeah. 
So that's how I ended up in the ATR, and that's where I've been ever since. So, so what it, has it been like, especially now? I know it's over 10 years now, but now during the pandemic, how has it been like for uh, you as an ATR and other ATRs during the COVID pandemic? Well, I mean, I think the most, the thing that shocked me the most, just in general, was how dehumanizing it is, especially when we had the three-week rotations. You didn't have a name. If you're an ATR, you don't have a name. Your, your name becomes ATR over the loudspeaker. Will the ATR please call the office? Or you'll hear a secretary call into a room. Do you need, do you want to make up that misprep? I have the ATR here. Do you want the ATR or not? If you don't want the ATR, I'll give her to somebody else. Yeah, that's um, part of the culture. I, I, I hear it all the time. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, um, remember I said that the reading was farmed out. There were times where I was assigned to go sit in a classroom in the corner and basically be the certified body in the room while high school interns, came, I'm sorry, college interns came in to read, to teach a scripted reading program to the kids. And I was sitting there as the reading specialist in the corner and I was told to just sit there, be certified, let them sit, you know, let them do the job. And these were college interns that were getting paid a thousand dollars a semester. Even my own colleagues wouldn't use your, you know, wouldn't use your name. It would just be, okay, guys, I'm going on my prep. This is the sub, be good for the sub. Um, and you're treated like a sub. You know, the kids treat you like any other substitute, which as we all know, isn't really good. And I've even had colleagues like, oh, you're an ATR? You must have done something because, you know, you're an ATR. You must be failing. Um, what did you do? Did you beat up a kid? So that's what, and since the pandemic, um, there's been a lot of misconceptions. Um, the first thing is that we're overused. Um, a lot of us have our preps taken away. Um, we're put constantly in situations where we're out of license. Sometimes we're ignored. Um, and with the pandemic, it was hard enough to move from a live classroom situation to a virtual one. But what made it harder for us was that we never knew where we were going to be. And we never knew what our assignment was going to be. At the beginning of the pandemic, my assignment, even at the same school, changed three times. So, you know, in learning, having to learn how to teach virtually on top of having to pivot to something new on a moment's notice. You'd get an email at eight o'clock in the morning saying, okay, you're not teaching that anymore. Now you're going to do this. And the kids are showing up, you know, in 20 minutes. And you have no materials. You have no curriculum because you're home. So there's no teacher's edition. You don't have access to the databases um, for the resources that the other teachers have because you're not part of the team, you're not on the emails, you're not getting the Google Docs because you're not in those groups. So you're, you're kind of constantly on a log roll, just trying to hold it together and trying to make it look like you know what you're doing. And, and, and you really don't because you're, you don't have the things in front of you that you need. You can't, I can't plan for kindergarten when I've never taught kindergarten 
I don't have access to the curriculum materials, the pacing calendar or anything else. And the kids are showing up in 20 minutes. So there's a lot of that. Also, um, there was a last minute switch. Like, you know, there was a big to do about ATRs being permanently placed. Yes and no. I got the email last year that I was going to be permanently placed at the school that I was at last year. The principal was happy. I was happy. My co-teacher was happy. We chatted a little over the summer about what we could do. And then a week before school starts, I got an email sending me to the school that I'm at now. And I emailed the ATR unit and I said, wasn't I supposed to be permanently placed at the school from last year? I said, I thought I was permanently placed there. I got a letter, an email saying that I was permanently placed there. Their response was to just email me back the same email that sent me to my present school. So I emailed them back and I said, if I was permanently placed as per this email, that means I'm not an ATR anymore. So why are you moving me if I'm permanently placed elsewhere? And again, their response was to just resend the same email telling me to go to the school where I'm at right now which is a nice place. But once again, that's just what we deal with all the time. Absolutely heart-wrenching, Kathleen. I, yes. I can't even imagine. Here is an expert reading specialist in a city that has so many needs with literacy, an expert, highly qualified, seasoned um, educator who is just bumped around. I, and and then the misconceptions and the myths that come along with that, and then some of some of the even abusive comments from within those that are that are placing us uh, or placing ATRs in in this situation, unreal. So that that was Kathy Perez. Um, she's a New York City educator. She's presently uh, placed in a middle school in Queens. And, and I'll tell you what, and I'm just going to offer some commentary on just a couple of things, including this ATR issue that I think we definitely need to explore in the next few weeks, especially in the midst of this shortage of, 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 of teachers, especially with so many of the, um, the, so much of the rhetoric that we hear about learning loss and the needs that our children are, are facing in the midst of all the things that are going on, especially during the COVID pandemic. Here is this pool of expert, highly qualified teachers. Um, You take Kathy, for example. Um, She said she was trained in Wilson's. Um, there, There are others that I had met, ATRs. We had one at our school who also had uh, what they call Orton Gillingham training in reading. Here we are in a city that in many ways, or a DOE that has failed our children, and many are struggling with literacy, and we have this pool of experts, whether it be in literacy or, for example, you take uh, Peter Zucker, who's got some really hands-on experience with technology and computers we could say that for so many of our ATRs in the midst of this pandemic of teacher shortages of high need within our school communities. 
And for whatever reason, we're still holding on to the vestiges of a decision made by then back then uh, Mayor Bloomberg, who in some ways was very anti-teacher and uh, wanted to enable administrators to make more hands-on decisions. But what we saw was, and I'm still seeing, is an abusive system that in many ways uh, makes sure that some of our seasoned teachers, some of our most qualified teachers are remain in this, in this ATR reserve. And yeah, it may save some money in a principal's budget on their lines within their school, but who's being hurt? It's our school children who don't have access to some of these really highly qualified teachers that are available. And so I think, I think the conversation definitely needs to continue. I think along with this ATR conversation is it's just another example, a glaring example of Bloomberg's mayoral control that has been in place since 2002. We can name issue after issue, the COVID response, including how specialized high school tests and, and so many of the other issues, including this ATR pool, how we have decided in a city that somehow one person has unilateral mayoral control over our schools and someone who did not have experience, maybe some corporate ex- experience. And I, I know the whole thing, the whole appeal of, of Bloomberg, and I, I think we also saw this in, in our presidential campaign, is that somehow a businessman could uh, make it better. And we've seen it here in our city. We've seen it also um, on a national level that these corporate types don't have a clue as to how to run a school system. And at the same time, we are disempowering parents, disenfranchising parents and families within their own school communities to make some decisions. And so I I was really, really bothered this week to see that Governor Hochul has put in her plan, in her budget plan, an extension of mayoral control. We saw Mayor Adams also um, piggyback on that and Chancellor uh, banks also piggyback on that, and they're all excited about the next four years and and another three years possibly being extended as far as mayoral control. That's up for discussion in front of the state legislature, and obviously now it looks like Governor Hochul is all, all for it, and she's supporting it, even asking for monies for it. I I think we really need to, as New York New Yorkers, those of us living in New York City, we've got to put a stop to this. We've got to find a way to mobilize and say, hey, these are our city schools. These are our children. Why are folks up in Albany deciding what's best for our school children? And so this conversation is going to continue, especially about the ATR pool. And in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to uh, bring some other ATR teachers to, to share their unique perspectives. And so I want to thank all of my guests today, uh, Matt Nabby of Grading the Drama. Again, if you want to check them out, go to, go to YouTube. And check them out on um, YouTube or Spotify. Just type in Grading the Drama DOE Unplugged, and you'll be able to 
catch their new audio and video podcast. They've got a great vibe together. And I'm, I'm really thinking that we're going to hear some great things coming out of grading the drama. I also want to thank my guests, Peter Zucker and Kathleen uh, Perez for their, sharing their, their, their very personal and even painful um, experiences within the absent teacher reserve. And to those of you, you listening today i want to thank you for listening to another episode of talk out of school my name is daniel alisea i am the host of talk out of school here on 99.5 fm and if you would like to hear us again or like to listen to this broadcast or any other podcast you can also check us out on apple also please consider becoming a member of wbai as a special supporter you can go to wbai.org and click on the donate button. You can also call uh, Talk Out of School, I'm sorry, WBAI, and donate at 212-209-2950. That number again is 212-209-2950. And please, uh, this is Free Speech Radio. This is an opportunity to allow us to continue uh, this this broadcast and, and all of the other fine programming here at WBAI. Also, um, I just want to thank the Tribe of Love today. I will be back soon for another episode of Talk Out of School. Until then, please be careful. Please be safe. Please get vaccinated. Thank you so much for listening. And to the Tribe of Love, let's keep going.